Hello, Blank Green Canvas listeners. Do you enjoy this podcast? If so, please consider becoming a supporter on Anchor. You can support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. Monthly contributions range from $0.99 cents a month to $4.99 a month and $9.99 a month. Visit anchor.fm slash blank dash green dash canvas and click support this podcast to become a monthly contributor. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Blank Green Canvas podcast. I am Noah Villaverde, your host of this podcast. And this week, I'm going to be joined by returning guest and friend, Alan Gunn. How are you doing today, Alan? Uh, doing okay. You know, it's funny. You've had me for Godzilla, Toy Story, and Lion King. Now you've got me for an actual grown-up movie. Yeah, for an a- yeah, all that kid stuff, of yeah. course, which is funny since now your new job, which we'll talk about in a bit. And also joining me for the first time on this podcast is an old friend of me and Alan's. His name is Teddy Silva. How are you doing today, my old friend? I'm doing well. It's, it's, it's fun to be back on here and fire up the old <laughs> Skype call group chat. I feel like I've like crawled out of a cave with a long, okay, so, scraggly um, beard. So for context for the listeners, uh, me, uh, Ted, and Alan, we've known each other for a couple years now, and uh, we actually met, We like, uh, a lot of us haven't met in person yet. I haven't met Alan in person, but I haven't met Ted yet, hopefully in the near future. But um, we all knew each other from a Facebook group and whatnot through old YouTube videos. We all used to do YouTube movie reviews. We have uh, reviews by Ted and Alan Gun 97 here. There, there, so. There's no evidence of that. You, you just, <laughs> I burned Ted. it all. Reviews by <laughs> okay. Ted is long gone. <laughs> been long gone like extinct my channel is still kind of sort of there you know i'd like to make video essays and whatnot on there eventually i have some planned but that's a thing but this is like old times for us because we used to have a bunch of other friends who we're still all close with that we would do podcasts sometimes i remember alan and ted you guys had a the bitchin podcast i think that's what it was called right we we yeah. <laughs> you oh, know, I, was, I was thinking about that today and uh, yeah no that was a <laughs> that was a good time. <laughs> it's weird being nostalgic for 2011 and 2012, isn't it? In retrospect, I mean yeah yes and no. I mean that was like the st- for, I mean I think for all of us I mean we're all kind of around the same age. That was like the yeah. start of when we all. We're like heading into high school and we're mm-hmm. forming. Yeah, we were in the midst. Yeah, we were, yeah, we were, yeah. we were forming like who we were. And so. Yeah, I think for people our age, being nostalgic for that kind of time period makes it. Now, I'm sure to some like 50 year olds, they're like, good Lord, they're nostalgic for 2011. <laughs> just adding gray hairs. <laughs> it's, but, you know. It's just, it's just weird because you look back at those years, 2012, like that was like, honest, in a lot of ways, 2012 was kind of like a linchpin moment for this decade in terms of big, like big studio cinema. Well, I mean, I mean that was when, that was when, you know, like we all, uh, that was like. <laughs> probably the height of when we all talk to each other and i mean mm-hmm. oh yeah and now now we're what now i mean i'm i'm 22 how old are you guys same 22 22 22 20 yeah so like i mean yeah and we we i was like 14 back then or wh- however old i was and um yeah it was it was a it was a time like right before we kind of became who we were uh and we've all grown up a lot so it's nice to oh come yeah back. it's nice to come back together of course mm-hmm. that's why I'm, I'm really happy to have you here on ted but by the way how have you been doing lately 
I've been great, you know. I've uh, been working. Um, I'm actually about to start up at a film program in the fall. Um, so yeah, I'm finally gonna study film. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, nice. Yeah, that's great, man. And Alan, how about you? Like, um, you actually are starting a new job, believe it or not. So you want to talk I, about that real quick? I suppose I am. Uh, I just recently got hired by Disneyland. Uh, as you know, I you know, as custodial, so don't think I'm, like, running the show or anything, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still fresh, and, uh, but it's good, and I'm very, I'm excited, and not just because my boss is a mouse. You're accepting <laughs> dollars from the mouse. <laughs> yeah, so and it's I'm, safe I'm, to I'm say. I'm getting on the right side of things. So it's safe to say you're gonna get us free tickets from the rest of our lives, right? Uh, uh, I don't want this stuff on the record. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. Like, so it seems like you guys are doing well. I just came back over the weekend, actually. I was spending some time with my cousins, who I don't spend enough time with. Over the weekend, we were at a cabin in the woods. Uh, Not the Drew Goddard movie, but an actual cabin in the woods. Very nice. For for two nights. And on one of those nights, there was this old VHS TV that they had, and they had a a really solid uh, VHS collection, and we ended up watching The Shining on VHS at 1 a.m., so that was oh, a great experience. That just sucked. oh, it was, and it was awesome because it was a lot of their first time watching it. So oh. me being the, the big fan of the movie, obviously one of my favorites, seeing their reactions to it, even though they know the "Here's Johnny" line, obviously it's it was still a well, vibe. It's funny because that movie is obviously iconic, but I mean I don't know. I feel like well, it's weird to say kids because I don't know how old your cousins are, but I feel like to a certain generation. I mean, yeah, they know like "Here's Johnny," yeah, but I, there's a lot of that stuff that isn't exactly like. You know, I mean, it's obviously influential, but there's a lot of stuff that you show, like, somebody fresh now. They're going to be like, like, what the hell was that? Well, a, yeah, I they, mean, they were all, yeah. It's a, I mean, it's a weird movie. Um, oh, it's, yeah. I think that's I mean, something yeah. that people don't, I mean, people always talk about how scary it is, but I don't, I don't think people talk about it. it's so surreal. Uh, yeah, oh, absolutely. it's surrealist cinema at its finest. And a lot of people, when they think of scary, though, when they think of scary, they think of, like, jump scares when that movie is famous for not using jump scares but it's all psychological and also what i loved is that they all loved it they're all like in their teens at least like 14 15 the youngest that we had in our cousin group so i'm um, seeing them react to like the whole bear you know in the hotel and uh, everything else that was entertaining and the bathroom scene in room 237 i mean that was the one part that's a little awkward for obvious reasons but like uh that was that was entertaining oh, yeah that was entertaining but yeah that was my weekend so um Overall, we had a good time overall. This weekend, all of us are doing our own thing, you know, working, obviously, school and whatnot. But this week, I have my friends here because we are going to be discussing the newest film from Quentin Tarantino, his ninth, his penultimate film, he says. Hopefully not. He says. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But before we discuss Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we're going to... Each of us, we're going to talk about our top three favorite Tarantino films, excluding Once Upon a Time, obviously, before we get into that. It's going to be a spoiler-free discussion on that film, by the way, followed by a spoiler-filled. So, um, first of all, I'm just going to ask Ted, since he's the newest guest here, uh, what are your top three um, Tarantino films overall? Um, I'm going to go in descending order, just because I think that's a more fun way of doing it. Um, so, nice. my number three is uh is kill bill the whole bloody affair nice Uh, just because as we'll get into with once upon a time in hollywood i think up until that it's the most humane 
uh, film that Tarantino has done, and I think what I've found is I'm very interested in his kind of tender side more than just his uh, what he's more kind of I what what has made him iconic is his stylized use of violence and how he studies these morally ambiguous characters and their their capacity for violence and cruelty. I'm Kill Bill is a much more uh, it's a, it's in many ways it's a warmer movie. It's a kind of an easier character to get behind. Um, but I think it's just a really rewarding and ambitious experience. And I think the fact that he took these two parts and made it this one movie, but they're two very different, uh, you know, they're, they feel very different. One is an action-packed movie throughout, and the second part is a much slower, more character-built um, yeah. Volume 2 definitely had... You could tell how much Tarantino loves Westerns, even in his films that are not explicitly Westerns. Yeah. In volume 2, it's so riddled with that in a lot of ways, and I love his sensibilities of old-style filmmaking with that one especially. Yeah, so that's definitely number three. I don't want to... Uh, if, if that's on your list too, I don't want to speak to It's all good. So here's how we're going to do it. So whenever you bring up a film that wasn't brought up, uh, we're just going to give our brief thoughts on them. Um, Alan, your thoughts on the Kill Bill films? Um, no, I love Kill Bill, and I think, I think that's probably, I believe that's the first Tarantino film I really had an exposure to. I didn't see the whole thing, because obviously my dad's not going to let some <laughs> little boy watch the entirety of Kill Bill. Um, <laughs> but, no, let, I mean, well, look, I saw enough to make an impression. I was way right. too young to see the stuff I saw. Um, but no, I think I love Kill Bill, and again, it's one of those things where you kind of need... You know, people always debate, you know, do you see it as two films or one film? Um, well, as Tarantino himself said, he sees it as one film, and he made it as yeah. one film. Um, and it really is one of those things, I really can't see one without the other. Because, again, like Teddy said, one's this very explosive, action-packed, you know, it's the very, you know, it's very fun, but it's the very violent, shocking part. But then that second half is so contemplative and generally emotional, it's like, I feel like one can't exist without the other. And it's just, again, so many of the genre influences he picks in and so many great performances. Yes. Uh, I love I love Kill Bill. I think David also, Carradine, I rest think, in peace. I think mm. Volume 2 uh, gives Volume 1 a, a, a meaning that... Yeah. That imp- I, I personally prefer Volume 2 because I think it improves upon Volume 1. It makes Volume 1 a better movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they complement each other so well in a lot of ways. And it's a dream of mine to um, go to the new Beverly, uh, Tarantino's personal cinema that he owns, where Once Upon a Time is actually screening at the moment. Uh, sometimes they screen the whole bloody affair, like his own mm. personal uh, print of it. So I would love to um, experience that. Oh, let alone, I just want to go to the new Beverly at some point. I'd have you ever been, Alan? Because I know you're Californian. Uh, I have not. That's, that's one of my, again... All this time in uh, California, that's one of the things that's on my bucket list. Um, I almost drove out for Once Upon a Time. I just didn't get around to it. But um, one of these days, I'll make the trek. Yeah, the ideal place to watch Once Upon a Time would be either there or the Cinerama Dome. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> Which so. has a cameo in the movie. Oh, yeah, of course. Yes, it uh, does. Ted, you're number two? You're number two? My number two is um, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Of course. Which... Uh, was I, I was actually fortunate enough to see it recently on a on a film projection at a theater. Oh man, that's... Uh, and it was it was wonderful. Um, I think I mean, there's not much to be said about it that hasn't yeah. been said. Yeah. It's 
it's just it changed things it's uh, it literally did it changed this the shape of cinema it influenced generations yeah. of uh, mm-hmm. people who want to make film or who just love film in general like the visual language of it and everything else and also it's kind of the quintessential um uh, film bro movie poster on the dorm room wall like <laughs> yeah i i mean you know, hey so. i had that poster you know i uh yeah I, I i bought that poster and no but i mean it's everything that has been made of it it is it, it's worth it. it it earns the reputation it's thrilling 100 true yes it's i mean it's it's kind of unquantifiable what what it is because it, it it sort of exists outside of genre it's frightening and scary and funny yes. and sad and all of these different things and it just makes for this totally unique uh revelatory experience and it also experiments it shows how tarantino loves to play with timelines and chronology and everything else and also another thing i like to worth mentioning by the way um like, it's been embraced by the culture beyond film fans in a lot of ways. You know, like, hip-hop culture loves Pulp Fiction. I mean, they love Tarantino in general, but, like, you could feel the influence of that film, especially throughout, like, um, a lot of uh, hip-hop music and the hip-hop culture and everything else, you know? So there's that. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go on our lists, maybe. But, uh, Alan, real quick thoughts on Pulp Fiction? Uh, I have heard of it. Um, no, <laughs> Pulp Fiction, it's funny. It's one of those movies, I feel like we... It's... it's Obviously, it's Tarantino's probably his most iconic movie. It's the one that yeah. was really if like Reservoir got him in the door, but then Pulp Fiction was like the you know it def- in a lot of ways it's defined him. Um, yeah. In a weird way, I almost feel like it's one of those movies we take for granted just because it's been it's always been there so ingrained in the pop culture. It's been spoofed and referenced, God knows how many yes. times. Yeah. Um, and I feel like when something like that happens, when you know a movie or any kind of thing really like. Con- not just like captures the zeitgeist, but like really starts to drive it. Y- you know, again, you take it for gr- you take the initial product for granted, but when you watch that movie, it still holds up. And I mean, yeah. While I think he's certainly evolved, while I think Tarantino certainly evolved a lot since then, I think in a lot of ways it still stands as it kind of his defining movie. Like, yeah, every trademark of his is in there in some way. Yep. Right. Yeah, so yeah, that's basically our thoughts on perhaps his most iconic film. I mean, isn't it still like in the top five on IMDb? Just goes Probably. to show how influential. Yeah, like so. There's that. So I mean, your number one, Ted. Uh, my number one is Inglorious Bastards. I applaud you mm. for that answer. I love that film so much. Like, yeah, um, I think just in terms of the sheer scope and ambition of uh, of his of his filmography i think this it's still kind of the crowning jewel um i think there's something to be said for it being uh, correct me if i'm wrong but it's the last film of his that's edited by sally menke um yeah yes and i think that has a lot to do with its success i mean she takes such a sprawling narrative probably up at up at that point his biggest and mm-hmm. uh gives it keeps it tight keeps it concise um and you know people make a lot of arguments that his movies post Sally Mankey's uh passing are baggy and uh need an editor which I don't necessarily agree with but I think Bastards has a narrative urgency uh that I Mm -hmm. don't think that any of his movies have reached 
before or after. Mm-hmm. I could see that. And it, it's it's just a true masterpiece and in a lot of ways. It's definitely, a, I'll, I'll tell you my ranking in a bit, but like, man, that film, like just, I'll say this and I think we'll all agree. I think that opening scene might be one of the best opening scenes in any film ever. Yes. I think it's, it was his best, period. I think just a fantastic sequence. I think, yes. I mean, and I think Christoph Waltz is giving a, a, not just a great performance, but it's one of the performances that only that actor could give. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the most, it's so inseparable from him that like there's going to be, there's a mm-hmm. lot of some of the best actors in the world, like we'll always remember them. For a lot of the performances, but there is defining performances for different actors. Like, like for Daniel Day Lewis, it was "There Will Be Blood," and for Christoph Waltz, like for example, that that performance will always that's immortal. I think. I, th- I mean, it, and beyond that, it's such a, it's just such a technical achievement of a performance. I mean, mm-hmm. just Absolutely. the sheer the, the 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 seamless switches in language, the multiple different languages that he has to speak fluently. Um, yeah. The 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 tactical shifts, how he just changes on a dime um how he can go from so funny and charming in in an instant to absolutely terrifying um it's i mean it's it, that performance is really one of the things that makes the movie work i mean it wouldn't it just wouldn't be the same i know leonardo dicaprio was one of the people who was considered to play that role at one point and i mean as much as i love leo it just it, it couldn't be anyone else but vaults Yeah, sorry about that. I had to start another recording to continue my my thing. But yeah, I agree with you definitely 100% on what you mentioned in terms of like it being perfectly uh, designed for Waltz. Uh, any thoughts on Inglorious, uh, Alan, real quick? Um, well, first of all, I believe that movie came out 2009. I believe that is the first, even before Pulp Fiction, that is the first Tarantino movie I watched uh, in its entirety. Um, so that definitely leaves an impact. Um, yeah, I think... And you mentioned earlier how Kill Bill, Noah, you mentioned how Kill Bill has a bit of a Western influence. And that's something we can talk about with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Again, let's not forget that Tarantino practically almost called the movie, and again, it's the chapter name, but he almost called the movie Once Upon a Time in Occupied France. And it was very clearly meant to be his Once Upon a Time. Yeah, it was meant to be his Once Upon a Time in the West. It was meant to be his big, sprawling, you know, spaghetti, spaghetti Western that just happened to be set in World War II. Um, but again, sprawling narratives, just all these great characters, and I, I don't know exactly where it would rank for me, but I, you know, I, I, I do love the movie, and I think, yeah, especially just Christoph Waltz, like, seeing that character come to life, just, you know, one of maybe Tarantino's best character. Yes, and, and also, it's also worth noting with, uh, that film... That film, in a lot of ways, kind of showcased uh, Tarantino's desire to explore his own revisionist take on history, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like taking liberties, obviously, which will be discussed in the film we're about to discuss. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, like so much can be said about that film and everything else, and I that's it's definitely something that's on my list. I'll tell you that much. So, um, Alan, uh, your top three, like descending order. Um, well, yeah, I don't know really know if I have like numbers because I'm bad at math. Um, the ones that speak to you the most, yeah. Well, I'll say, and we we mentioned a few of them. I'll, I'll say I'll be basic and say Pulp, Fic- Pulp Fiction is my number one. Same here, actually. Um, I'll just get that out of the way. So, um, I'd say, you know, it's it's funny. I just said, oh, I don't know where I'd rank it. I'd probably say Inglorious Bastards is right around 
in the top for me. I think that movie really does do a lot. Um, and I would also say, you know what, man? I I am very partial to Django Unchained. Like, I think it's the closest to, like, a so, full-on... This is where the common joke that you and I are the same person comes in. <laughs> because I, that those were, like, my top three hovering mm. overall. Um, you know, so... No, I love I love Django Unchained, and I think it's funny, like, I think it's the closest he's come to really making because Tarantino, obviously, being so steeped in westerns and kind of western mythology, has always been playing with that kind of heroic, you know, man's man kind of imagery. And I think yeah. Django is the closest he's come to doing a genuine, you know, not even a deconstruction of here, but just a full on like heroic kind of stirring movie and of course there is some deconstruction going on um but no i think that movie aside from just being probably his most fun movie uh oh, i think so relentlessly just, entertaining i think there is just something on a very not i want to say simplistic but there's just something very kind of again something it feels mythic it feels like him creating a new hero in his in his very in his style, but hero up there with you know like the man with no name. Yeah, I'd say so. Everything else, I mean, the performances in that film, uh, Ted. Uh, I'll get to you on your thoughts in that film. Uh, like in general, like you know, uh, Christoph Waltz, who won Best Supporting Actor in that film, mm-hmm. like he, uh, he's so good in that as Cal as Ca- not not Candy. That was Leo. Uh, Doctor King, King Schultz. Schultz. King Schultz. You know, and just right from the beginning when he frees Django and everything else, like he just chews up scenery left and right he's so good in that film and uh leo of course leonardo dicaprio uh absolutely brilliant in the scenes he's in like he's captivating the fact that he broke his hand like while filming that famous scene you know and sam jackson shout out to samuel L. jackson like one of his best performances i'd say i think samuel jackson's i think samuel jackson's character is uh one of the most underrated tarantino's characters mm-hmm. just because he i mean it's it's a type of antagonist that we haven't really seen before and it's a really kind mm-hmm. of ballsy move to put put in the movie um yeah and I in think, a lot of ways he's the true villain of that film yeah you know and i think um samuel jackson is just amazing in that movie in fact as much as i love Christoph Waltz and I love Leo in that movie. He's the actor that I would nominate for best supporting actor. He's so good. I know, right? Like transforms. Like he plays into like, like we whenever Sam Jackson appears in any of Tarantino's movies, we have a certain expectation in what role he plays. And here it's like a departure in ways from previous characters mm-hmm. he portrayed, whether it was like in um, Pulp Fiction and Jackie Brown. But like mm-hmm. uh, he really captivates the screen. You really feel like history in his character and um, contentment that he has also for, like, our main heroes and everything else. You know, like, right from there. I was coming close to him. Bring, like, there was, like, fun fact, um, there's this in-joke that us and a few of our friends have in regards to that movie. I was like, going to say <laughs> it, know? but okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> I'm not going to be specific, <laughs> but, but is, to those... That is a deep cut. <laughs> but to those of our old friends who are listening right now, you know what we're talking about. But It's so, a good one. Yeah, so... So Alan and I kind of have our same top three. We discussed them a bit. So let's go over a few of the ones that we didn't really discuss as much, like Reservoir Dogs. Any thoughts on Reservoir? Uh, Ted, you can go. Oh, um, I think Reservoir Dogs is great. I just, I haven't watched, I've only seen it once. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, same here. Like, a lot of Tarantino's movies, obviously, I've seen, like, um, Pulp, I've seen the most. Uh, Inglorious might be mm-hmm. a close second, and Django third. Uh, all the other ones I've seen once, and some I've had more memories than others. So, Alan, like, anything on Reservoir that stands out? Um, well, I do love Reservoir Dogs, and I think it being his first film, I think, well, I wouldn't say it's my favorite of his or his best. I think it's... This is a weird way to put it, but I think it's him at his most hungry. Like, it really feels like, even more so than, like, Pulp, it really feels like the one where he has the most to prove. And I think you really feel that. And obviously, in the years since, he's obviously matured a lot as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, but there is just something about that initial, like, I'm going to make my mark with this movie, that that yeah. attitude that's, I think, really infectious. Uh, and plus, uh, stuck in the middle with you, just oh, yeah, maybe the best. To bring that maybe yeah. to this day's my favorite use of a song in a Tarantino his, movie. It might be his best needle drop still, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. you said that about Reservoir. Um, it's a good one. Jackie I Brown, mean... which, yeah, Jackie Brown, which was one um, I tried rewatching earlier, but I got busy with a few things. Um, I remember really, really appreciating when I first saw it. I, To be fair, I still need to see it again so I can give it a better uh, look and a better taste, at least. So, uh, do you guys have any thoughts on Jackie Brown? I haven't seen it! <laughs> Ooh, it's all racist. Good. Like, shit. I haven't seen it. Racist. It's his first movie. Of course, movie. that's the one. So oh, we were not going to spoil it naturally, fuck. but it's his first movie that's actually based on other material that's not his own. Yes, you it's know. based on the uh, Elmore Leonard book. Oh god, what's the name of the book? Um, Rum Punch. Oh god, I yeah, get a Rum lot Punch. of Elmore. Yeah, Rum Punch. Yeah, I get a lot of his books mixed up. Yeah, it's Rum Punch. Yeah. Um. Oh, I love Jackie Brown. I love that movie, and I think aside, well. Well, I suppose, aside from Once Upon a Time, which we can talk about later, I think it's, again, maybe even more, well, again, Kill Bill Volume 2 is hard to say because it, it's paired with Volume 1, which, which is extraordinarily violent and shocking. Uh, Jackie Brown is not, it's much more subdued and kind of, not, not again, it certainly has its violence and its big shocking moments, uh, yeah. but I think it's just very calm and entertaining and you know, I, I, it's just very, it's been, it has been a little bit since I've seen it, but no, I love Jackie Brown. I think, I think, you know, again, I think that's where you start to see Tarantino, not just relying on shock, shock value, but I think there is real class and craftsmanship to that movie. Yeah. Shout uh, out to plus, Robert just Forster. an amazing cast, yeah. just an amazing cast. Robert De Niro, you know, Michael Keaton, Samuel Jackson. It Cam does Greer. have the Samuel Jackson line that aside from, uh, Aside from Pulp Fiction, it does have the same Jackson Tarantino line I quote the most, where he's just, he just looks at the Rob De Niro, he's just like, our ass used to be beautiful, man. <laughs> I don't know why, I quote that one a lot. I don't want to know what context. <laughs> There's a great uh, Twitter meme that I'm seeing lately, where <laughs> it's just a picture of Samuel L. Jackson in the Ezekiel uh, monologue moment mm-hmm. from Pulp yeah. fiction and it's just like the picture of him like with the close-up either like smiling or looking angry and the caption is like smiles motherfuckeringly <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah there's so many memes obviously in yeah. regards to that <clears throat> to a jackie brown another one we didn't bring up uh death proof which is widely considered probably his least of his films mm-hmm. uh i've only seen it once it, it was in the double feature for grindhouse with planet terror did you Robert actually Rodriguez see that did. were you actually able to see that in a theater no definitely i was too young by that time my parents would not allow 10 year old me to see that in the theater <laughs> same here <laughs> i have not seen death proof uh i i 
for a while I was like, I, I, cause I, I've, I, it has the reputation of being, uh, probably mm. the lowest regarded of Tarantino's movies. And so I've never really felt the priority made it a priority. Mm. Um, but I mean that and Jackie Brown, well, especially Jackie Brown, but, um, death proof. I I'm curious about it just cause it has inspired so much, uh, capital D discourse as many of Tarantino's movies do, but yeah, he, he himself says he doesn't like it. So it's like, yeah, interesting. It's, yeah, so. uh, it's, I mean, it's just like a, it's for a filmmaker. So controversial, it's controversial in a sort of different way, which I'm yeah a little fascinated by, which is something that I think applies to a lot of his recent stuff. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know, like there's, there's an interesting discourse with Tarantino's films in recent years. That certainly is an interesting topic on its own. Like, I'm not going to say whether or not it's good or bad, but, you know, Alan, do uh, you have any death proof uh, thoughts real quick? You'd agree with that consensus, right? Kurt Russell plays a murderous stuntman, and I don't want to hear any smack talk on this movie. Okay, here's my thing on death proof, <laughs> aside from the obvious, my love of Kurt Russell. Uh, oh, when I first watched it, I hated it. And this is this was when I was right in the middle of my Tarantino phase. Uh, oh, it bored me to tears. Uh, aside from you know, obviously you have Kurt Russell running people over, which is great. Um, but no, I just and God, how old would I've been? 13, 13, 14? Right. And a lot of it, you know, it's very atypical from what you expect from. Oh, hey, it's Kurt Russell as a murderous stuntman. Uh, where you're, you know. And there's these long scenes where it's the uh, the female characters. There's two sections with female characters just talking and talking sure. and yeah. monologuing. And as a 13-year-old kid, you're like, I, I, I don't care. Get to Kurt Russell murdering everybody. Um, <laughs> and I still do want to give it a rewatch because it has been a while. Um, but it's a movie I have come to appreciate more over time. Uh, I think specifically because it kind of zigs where I think a lot of people would zag. Uh, and plus, again... Okay, aside from the obvious, again, I, I mentioned Kurt Russell. Yes, it's I love seeing Kurt Russell in that zone. Uh, but more than that, I think before, because we're in a kind of a Kurt Russell, Russell sense, as I like to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. where you see him popping up a lot more. And I think specifically because we're filmmakers are we're, we're grew up on the image of Kurt Russell and kind of the imagery he brought. And I feel like, you know, you look at the stuff he does in, like, Guardians or even some stuff like Bone Tomahawk is very much the work of filmmakers who grew up on that image, on on that actor, and wanted sure. to see, take that now. Yeah. And I think Death Proof was kind of the first example. It kind of predates all those, but I think Death Proof is the first example, especially someone like Quentin, who takes somebody like Kurt Russell, who has a very specific imagery, has a very specific, you know, people respond to him very yeah. much. Because he's Kurt Russell, he's the man's man, and being able to kind of twist and exploit that very ingeniously. Um, so yeah, I've been meaning to give Death Proof a rewatch because it's been a while. I probably would say it's my least favorite film of his, but you know that's by Tarantino standards. So yeah, it's been on my rewatch list for a while. You know, there's a bunch of movies in general that I like to revisit because I didn't give them maybe the proper due when I first initially saw it. But um, uh, like um, the last one before we get into Once Upon a Time in hollywood uh the last film we'll talk about briefly is the hateful eight which all of us actually had the privilege of seeing the roadshow version of it which was a great experience i saw it with alan and a friend of mine yeah (laughs) alan and i saw it with a friend of mine named eric uh shout out to you eric palladian uh we went to go see the 70 millimeter uh roadshow edition of the movie which had the intermission and everything else that was just a great 
theatrical going experience you know mm-hmm. you know so uh, ted do you have any thoughts or memories with the hateful eight well i mean the the theater experience is one of the top five best theater experiences i've had i mean it was just such a i, I think i it might have been the first film i saw like i mean after film had kind of died uh on film mm-hmm. where it became more of a niche thing and yeah yeah uh because i re- i mean obviously as a kid there were still f- theaters playing things on yeah. film like i definitely saw yeah. like you know harry potter in the prisoner of azkaban on film as a kid the last film projected thing i remember seeing before hateful eight and i actually saw dunkirk on regular 70 millimeter by the mm. way uh, was Rango, believe it or not. That's the one I remember still with the grain and the reels changing and everything. Well, I was it was now, weird see, because... You, you kids and your experiences, you haven't experienced cinema until you've seen Scooby-Doo 2 in pure film, okay? I okay, love Scooby-Doo Emmanuel 2, Lubezki's in film. That, that's the cinematography. Uh, but Ted, you were saying... I love Emmanuel <laughs> Lubezki's cinematography. <laughs> oh, he did shoot that. He did. He actually, he, uh, lensed, he lensed the cat in the hat. That's yeah. a real fact. Yeah. He oh, did. yeah. That is true. That is he true. Um, He's a very diverse filmography. But uh, no, uh, the hateful, the hateful. It's a really interesting movie. Um, when I first saw it, I uh, adored it. But I think it's because I went in with really low expectations. I actually. Oh yeah, like the the hype around it wasn't as heavy. Well, to be fair, twenty fifteen was interesting because. In a lot of ways, I think all of three of us, our hype for movies were kind of dead set and focused on The Force Awakens coming out that year. Yeah, and, and on well, top also because, I mean, little the, movies here and there. There was also, right around that same time, there was The Revenant, which was like another big, yeah. kind of self indulgent, gigantic, uber violent Western type movie. In Snow. In Snow, yeah, exactly. Snow. And that seemed more kind of exciting at the time. Also, mm-hmm. it was, for me, uh like the trailers didn't do much for me um i wasn't crazy about the fact that tarantino was doing a western again right after django um so mm-hmm. i went in with super- a bottle western yeah and the whole movie. like bottle western being a three hour long movie it was it wasn't exciting and i love a long movie um yeah same but yeah i wasn't that hype for it but so when i saw it, it was actually i was really pleasantly surprised by it um on rewatches it hasn't um i i still like it a lot but it definitely drags um it definitely feels kind of baggy um mm-hmm. in a way that i'm curious to see how once upon a time in hollywood will feel um but it, yeah and it, it's it's a really it's i mean it's I mean, it's right in the title, but it's a mean movie. I mean, oh yeah, it's, it's probably like it's the a ugliest, cynical, movie. nihilistic, very angry movie, and, with and maybe like characters that are terrible people to the core. Yeah, and maybe I'm just like broken now, but I just I, I, there's I can't ha- handle it in a way that I found like glee in it when I was, you know, when I saw it in theaters because you know it's. It feels like it should be a post-Trump movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and it's strange because it came out before the election. Um, yeah, it was right around like when the primaries were still going on. And so in a, way, in, in a way, it's very prescient and very 
you know, it it for kind of it foresaw kind of just how ugly things would be and or how he tried to warn us. The way I see it, the way I see it, it's more of like an ex- it exposes stuff that was already there that we thought we were just gonna keep yeah. like, bottled up that we all know was there, but it's like we're too scared to acknowledge the fact mm-hmm. of the matter, you know. But like that's inter- that's an interesting insight or a uh, foresight really to see how it kind of played into that factor because it, it was we were in a little bit of a different world to say the least when that movie came yeah, out. yeah and it was a lot easier for me to like laugh at uh the end of act one finale oh yeah yeah than, than it is for me now um yeah it's definitely it's not a movie that is the most fun to rewatch given the context of the world we're living in right now like i I'm, i like mean movies sometimes you know in doses and everything else but just like the world is already pretty crazy as it is i could only handle so much cynicism in my life yeah which is why like there's certain movies that even though i'd like to see them like if they're coming out there's just a level of cynicism that I don't really want to mess with for a bit just because I'm so tired. Right. I don't think it's... I I, I resonate. I don't think it's necessarily the movie's fault that... Because, I mean, when I saw it, you know, purely as a... With totally new... uh, With no idea of just how dark it would be, I loved it. Um, It's really just how it kind of exists in the relationship the with everything exactly and so it's just yeah. it's harder to watch and so as a result that, i don't go my, back to it maybe your sensibilities are a little different now in terms of what kind of movies you want to see at the moment like not just tone wise but also maybe like even in a certain way what statement it has i mean statement movies are always a thing you know but sometimes you could only you want to state it's okay to have a statement but you also kind of want to have a little more levity to it that's a little more hopeful yeah than angry i know? think so. so and i think it's it's also it's it's a again and also pre it's a pre trump it's also a pre me too movie and oh yeah <laughs> and it's um mm. and mm. i think yeah. that i think those two variables have just changed how we um how we're wired to process culture and information and yeah um, i respect that i respect and, that perspective definitely and and not that i dislike the movie but it's just it it's it's different now it's also and it's also you look at that movie uh you it's kind of impossible to separate weinstein movies and tarantino oh movies yeah from, because this oh, is yeah. it's a weinstein release That's the, that that was an elephant in the room thing like the whole weinstein tarantino relationship obviously with the production yeah, like, it was he was a big producing partner for much of his career. I mean, we all know what happened. But like, Alan, uh, real quick, you have any thoughts on Hateful Eight? Like, it was a great experience watching it with you and Eric, though. I'll tell you that. Kurt Russell's, Russell's beard. beard. It's really good. Uh, no, it is. It's it's a hell of a beard. It is a and that mustache. Uh, <laughs> no, I gotta stop leading with Kurt Russell in these things. Um, I am a big <laughs> fan of the Hateful Eight. Um, and uh, I think it's interesting. I remember when I watched it, it was kind of sold as, like, I remember at the time it was almost kind of sold as, like, another, not exactly another Reservoir Dogs, but another sort of back to basics, okay, it's a, it's a group of people trapped in a room, uh, tensions high, you know, something more small scale, and, yeah. uh, and while it definitely has that sensibility, again, slightly more of a back to basics sensibility, I also think there was slightly more, 
I remember seeing it like okay I could you could start to see Tarantino evolve because then we're coming right off of Django Unchained which was like yeah like man just he, Django just like killed all the slave owners he just shot you him could tell they something. were having so much fun making that movie yeah and it's Django is so like cathartic and you know mythological and then you get to Hateful Eight which as we've mentioned is hateful and ugly and yeah and not not even like not even in a fun way but in like a sobering like it makes you reflect on society in a really visceral it's it's in a really viscerally upsetting way (laughs) yeah and yeah and i do think it i think because i do think it works and i think it does represent an interesting shift in tarantino's sensibilities now teddy of course i i do think you bring up a good point um as far as like viewing it now, not that I, you know, not that I can't watch it now, right. um, yeah. but I do think, I think, I think you def, it definitely represents both Tarantino and a lot of just the culture, like on the cusp, where you start to see yeah. a lot of issues we're dealing with kind of bubbling over the surface. Uh, so yeah, that's a, I do worse. think it's a very interesting movie. Uh, also, something I know I mentioned Kurt Russell, got to bring him up again. Uh, the fact that Tarantino did make a pseudo Western remake of The Thing. Because it's all about a bunch of people trapped in the snow with Kurt Russell, and one of them's a killer. Oh God! I remember when I first, I remember when I showed my dad the trailer, and he's like, "So it's Kurt Russell and a bunch of people, Kurt Russell with a beard, trapped in snow." And then in the trailer, Kurt Russell says, "One of these people is not who he says he is." And my dad's just like, "Oh come on! How much more <laughs> obvious can you get?" Uh, and one yeah. more funny story with Hateful Eight, because when I showed it to my dad at home, like on Blu-ray, my dad was like, "Okay, I want to watch the movie." I'm not in the mood to watch the whole thing in one sitting. And I'm like, okay, we can split it up in two nights, you know. And so I decided to split it up at the intermission. And uh, let me tell you, uh, ending the night, because anybody who's seen Hateful Eight knows it ends in a pretty interesting place at that intermission. Oh, yeah. It's it's pretty fun being able to just cut the movie right there and be like, all right, we'll finish it tomorrow. So that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Uh, But no, I, uh, I really enjoy Hateful Eight. Well, enjoys... An interesting word, but no, I think I think Hateful it's a great, it's a really film, interesting, yeah. it's a really interesting well of his done film. Yeah, shout out to like Samuel Jackson and Walton Goggins and Jennifer Jason Lee in particular. I think those are the three standout performances. In that Walton movie. Goggins, Walton Goggins is brilliant. Is really great in that movie. Oh, um, yeah, and Samuel L. Jackson is just. I'm really glad that he got to just kind of lead a Tarantino ensemble again. Yeah, and it's such mm-hmm. a really, really fantastic role also for him to play. But so th- that's our kind of a ret- retrospective on much of Tarantino's filmography. Now we're going to get into the meat of the discussion, which is the actual film we're discussing, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, his ninth film, his penultimate film, stars Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, and a bunch of other character actors that pop up here and there. To my right is Bounty Law series lead and Jake Cahill himself, Rick Dalton. And to my left is Rick stunt double Cliff Booth. So, Rick, uh, explain to the audience exactly what it is a stunt double does. Actors are required to do a a lot of dangerous stuff. Cliff here is meant to help carry the load. Is that uh, how you describe your job, Cliff? What, carrying his load? Yeah, it's about right. (laughs) Ted, what are your thoughts? Spoiler free first. Yeah, um, when I first got out of the, I mean, it is a lot, this movie is a lot to process in a way Very. that is, it, it's not as immediately, uh, it's a movie that creeps up on you. 
it's not yeah. a movie that kind of it's not a Tarantino movie in that it's like kind of bashes you over the head. I mean, it, it takes its it really takes its time to kind of wash you up into the world. Um, I loved it. I thought it was nice. super immersive. I thought it was super uh, melancholic. I thought it was funny. Um, I I'm processing the ending but i kind of like that it's leaving me in a sort of queasy place but we'll get into that um yeah, yeah mm, I, I, I loved it i think it's to- i actually i think it's top tier tarantino nice nice alan spoiler free thoughts well first of all you keep saying the name of the movie wrong sir it's not once upon a time in hollywood it's once upon a time in hollywood so you know it's true I thought you're professional here that is um, true I I don't know why I put those dots in there. I don't know. It's Look, all good. Tarant- he can do his thing. Whatever. Um, yeah. I I I think like Teddy said it. It's not a movie that like jumps out in the way that I think a lot of people expect Tarantino movies to like really jump out at you and like here you know. It's not. It's it's moving at a very different. It's a very. It's moving at a very different frequency than a lot of his movies, and it <sighs> definitely. I'll say I'm definitely. Processing it, processing it in a lot of ways, um, and that's why I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts because I'm almost more interested just to absorb other people's thoughts and just kind of get their take on it right now. I will sure. say that I really enjoyed it. I think it's the kind of movie that even if I'll say I watched it, not really knowing where it was going, but I was enjoying the ride a lot. Again, just the performances, the world building, uh, just these characters, and kind of the myriad of stories I found really entertaining. And I was kind of watching it like, huh, I wonder where this is going. And when it ended, I was like, I'm not entirely sure where it went. Not in a negative way, just in a way that has me more contemplative than I think a lot of people expected from this movie. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, expected a more straightforward kind of film from Tarantino. I mean, they probably expected the epic runtime and, um, you know, some of the Tarantino-isms that you'd expect from a story. Especially the fact that he's exploring old-time Hollywood which is definitely mm-hmm. something he's passionate about. But yeah. um, I'll say this just to keep it short. Um, I really loved it. Uh, I think um, the, perfor- the, the performances by the leads, uh, DiCaprio and Pitt, are dynamite. Uh, just the script is really, like the dialogue, as you'd expect, is just brilliant. And um, some people have debated about like the second act, you know, whether or not it really resonates. I actually think the way the second act turns out and runs is actually something really inspired because a lot of people are accustomed to the kind of pacing that modern filmmaking has so whenever they see something like that in a Mm -hmm. kind of film uh they might be turned off initially but i do love that tarantino really was embracing like the kind of cinema from the 60s with the sensibilities he did with this film and i think in a lot of ways like it's really it's just an opportunity it's like a hangout movie the way i describe Mm -hmm. it to people once upon a time in hollywood at its core even though there is a story in it, it's mostly a hangout film about just following these people in Hollywood. It really, maybe more than any other of his films in a while, or in general maybe, it really immerses you in the environment in no other way other Tarantino mm-hmm. films have. Like, Hollywood, Los Angeles is a character in this film, like truly. And the mm-hmm. way he just brings it all together is just brilliant. So... That's our spoiler-free thoughts. Let's get to the true meat of this discussion, and we're going to spoil Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you have not seen the film, uh, see it immediately, or if you don't mind spoilers, stay if you'd like. 
So, okay. So, um, let's just say that the movie has certainly got a lot of discussion online over the weekend after people mm-hmm. finally saw it, to say the least. You know, and I typically avoid discussions like that because I'm not, I don't really mess with film Twitter or like the letterboxed clan of people in terms of like discussions because I get annoyed by it sometimes, even if I find some interesting insight in it. But, um, let's start off with like, uh, just maybe the biggest part that people are discussing, just how it kind of follows the inglorious bastards and to another extent, Django Unchained way of exploring a historical time mm-hmm. and Tarantino's kind of remixing of that. If you will, Ted, do you have any thoughts on how Tarantino twists history a little bit in the film? I, yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's impossible to not have thoughts as Twitter has demonstrated. Um, you know, I, I think the when it when we get to the actual Manson's, uh, the Manson family attack, that act. I, when people say it's out of place, I sort of disagree because th- that whole third act has sort of taken on this level of like delirium that the other two mm-hmm. haven't where yeah. it, it's a six month time jump, by it, the way, so. six month time jump. The comedy, well, someone's actually going through delirium, <laughs> right? Brad Pitt, oh, yeah. Brad Pitt is literally on acid. Um, the best part of the movie, the best part of the movie. But also, it's it's hilarious. But I also I think I think it's the part where the comedy becomes the broadest. Even before that, like mm-hmm. the whole scene with with Leo yelling at them while sipping a blender margarita is hysterical. I love that image. But I love it's that. also like, oh, that's yeah. gonna be my Halloween costume. That's him the, like an old him with the blender like and like out in the street, letting his gut hang. It's I mean it's just yeah it it's very broad. Um, and then. The, the attack scene is, it's almost like everyone's interpreting it as like portraying them as badass. I disagree. I think it's portraying them as like bumbling and stumbling as though like they're mm-hmm. doing, they're, they're taking down the Mansons on accident just really brutally. Oh yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, like the way the second act really shows them, like the second act is basically a day in the life of the characters that we follow. You know, just how this one day kind of leads into the third act's events, basically. How it affects their lives. Like, the movie really, at its heart, it's just about these two guys and their friendship and their professional relationship, as well as, like, what happens when you realize, you know what, we've spent a lot of great time together, great memories, but we're reaching a fork in the road. We're about to kind of go our Mm -hmm. separate ways from what it looks like, you know. So I see it mainly as, it's a story about, like, a friendship that's ready for two people who really have a lot of love for each other, but it's they realize that time is up almost for both of them in terms of their time together, you know. So I really love how it like the movie for me. It's at its best when it's the two of them on screen. Like their chemistry is just absolutely dynamite right from the beginning, and when they kind of come back again together towards the beginning of the third act, I just found it so exciting and rewarding to see that happen. But they were great on their own and their special stories with Leo. As Rick Dalton, you know, seeing him trying to burst out into the scene. Like, he doesn't want to do Italian westerns for some reason, but he's he feels typecast in the roles that he has. And Brad Pitt's story, which um, I think Brad Pitt might be the standout of this movie. I think that's kind of the general consens- consensus. Uh, like, what he goes through, what he explores, like, you know, when they go to... Uh, 
was it a spawn uh whatever spawn, spawn movie ranch spawn movie ranch like that whole sequence when, when bruce Dern appears i just found it just so just so interesting and just so like wow like a lot of filmmakers are afraid to approach uh their stories in the way that tarantino does with this movie you know the second act really being very um hangouty if you will mm-hmm. and uh, i think it's actually to the film's benefit because it makes it stand out it follows those sensibilities and it truly does feel like what if tarantino like with his sensibilities now but he just traveled back in time to make a movie in the 60s basically you know mm-hmm. i really love that about it um alan any like any thoughts quickly about like the whole revisionist history kind of thing that he does again here um well, as far as the, well first of all just the history in general like if anybody knows me, I am a sucker, not just because I live close to it. I'm a sucker for old vintage Hollywood, and especially, like, the 60s, that whole scene. That just it, – it's definitely, like, tuned to my vibrational frequency. Like, And I love that there's references that – there are some very clear-cut, like, very direct homages. My, uh, also, one of my absolute favorite scenes, the, scra- the Great Escape bit, I could not oh, yes. believe they pulled it off. I was freaking was out in the theater. Fantastic. Um, but this is also because it's Tarantino. There's, like, all these – obscure little gems of like who the hell's gonna remember what's the name of the tv show that uh leo's filming lancer is it lancer yeah lancer like (laughs) nobody else but tarantino would be like i'm gonna devote an entire section of my movie to filming the pilot episode of lancer like just all those little bits i love just the way he fills out the world and yes there's some you know aside from just the obvious bits like oh we're gonna show the cinerama or the uh you know some of the restaurants or we're gonna have some obvious needle drops so many little gems of history that i think right. really give the world a lot more th- dimension than had it just been like oh just put it in this hollywood 60s and show up the obvious stuff no you could really tell he loves this world and he loves this time in history and then he makes a very some very clear choices towards the end yeah and yeah. that um i i think it's i well first of all i think it's very interesting and i think it definitely shows him at his most earnest because it's very clear he's not I, the disadvantage this movie had going in was that no matter how much they talked about Leo or Brad Pitt or all so many characters, like again, like Bruce Lee showing up for a second, Steve he McQueen, was fantastic. like all these, Mike Moe, all was these fantastic. Oh, he's great and he's so good. Like he really captured it. Like all these actors coming in for bits just to you know bring these historical characters to life. No matter what, the big elephant in the room with this movie was going to be. The Mansons. It was going to be, you know, about Charles Manson, who's only in it for one scene. We yeah. should p- point out, he's only in it for one small scene, which I was surprised by. Uh, and, of course, the murder of Sharon Tate. It was really defining the conversation going into this. And the, mo- the movie is not defined by that, is not defined by that act. And I think, obviously, it makes some very clear choices towards the end. I think it's very earnest. I, I respect that he's doing something more hopeful. Um, yeah. Well, first of all, we've brought up Leo and Brad Pitt. Uh, right. Margot Robbie, I think, is wonderful in the movie, specifically because she's not the typical Tarantino character. She's not like she doesn't get a scene where she's going to rat off some five-page monologue, giving all of her emotional backstory or whatever. It's just about seeing her inner moments, just seeing her as this not pure, just very warm, just wonderful presence she's embracing the classic hollywood ingenue kind of i understand i understand the any complaint about this movie except except for 
Margot Robbie is not used properly as Sharon Tate. She's used perfectly as Sharon Tate. I think she's used perfectly. And again, I think people just expect because it's a Tarantino movie, like, oh, she's got to have some giant monologue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like all this dialogue. And she doesn't. But I think what she says with her presence, just her emotion, just that scene in the theater where she's seeing herself on the screen, I think that says more than any, like, giant soliloquy could. Um, Yeah. I really like that. Um, By the way, did you guys find it interesting that um, when... So she goes to the theater to go see herself, and what was the movie? The, the Wrecking Crew. Herself in? The Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew with Dean with, Martin. With Dean Martin. Which is great. And uh, so when they show it on, on screen, they actually use actual footage of the movie and actual Sharon Tate in there. What did you guys think of that choice? I'm curious. Um, I was surprised by that, mainly because, again, they had already shown, like, they already, like, inserted Leonardo DiCaprio into... Uh, Great Escape, and then into uh, FBI. That was yeah. a great pull. I couldn't believe. In fact, little tangent: when they show Leo's bit in that episode of FBI, they use some foot because that's a real show. In case the kids yeah. out there don't know, they use some of the actual footage from the episode, and then they reshot some bits with Leo. Apparently, the army truck that they reshot with Leo was the actual truck from the actual episode. Like somehow they managed to of find course. it and bring it back for that bit which is crazy um well, that's quitting for you no but as far as actually using the actual footage of sharon tate instead of inserting margot robbie um i think it's interesting i think i think it's because sharon tate was real and yeah. because this is a movie all about you know the moment where at least in our timeline <laughs> our timeline our yeah. in real life she was killed i think I think it was more re- respectful of him to actually show the real Sharon Tate. I agree. Now, maybe for some it's distracting, but I, I think too. I think it just comes from a more earnest place. I would agree. So, I like, think... you basically agree with that that perspective, Ted? Yeah, I mean, I think I honestly think it would be more distracting if we like. I think watching her watch mm-hmm. gives it mm-hmm. just you know, and they look enough alike that it just it makes enough yeah, sense. Yeah. You buy it, and I think it would just be distracting because like. When you watch Leo in Great Escape, obviously you know that's fake because yeah. it's a fantasy. Yeah. But I think the second you like digitally insert Margot Robbie into that movie, you're automatically like, oh, that's fake, as opposed to mm-hmm. like actually sure. buying it. Sure. It's, it's, I guess in, the, in a lot of ways, it's Tarantino's way of kind of blending in actual reality with you know, his mm-hmm. world. You know, so that's kind of the place to his sensibilities. Uh, it's another thing. Like another actor who's in this movie that plays an actual figure was um, Damian Lewis as uh, Steve McQueen, which is interesting. You know, so it's like we see, mm. or like Mike Moe as Bruce Lee. You know, like we see a few people who are well known for the most part, like they're actual figures. And Damian Lewis is very recognizable, also. You know, like so seeing him as Steve McQueen was certainly interesting. Um, let me think of other scenes I wanted to kind of discuss for a bit. Like, uh, man, I just, I just loved how uh, I, I really there's so, certain scenes in the second act that I know a lot of people may have issues with uh, in terms of the pacing, but I just love the way he plays with time and keeping that mystery of whether or not Brad Pitt actually killed his wife like they speculated. Okay. Okay, you brought that up. What do you guys think? Did did he do it? Uh I don't know yet. Prop maybe, probably. <laughs> I'm going to give I a mean, really I'm going to give a really pretentious sounding answer. All right. Um I think like I that whole thing felt to me like a nod to just how like old hollywood there's like there's as much of there's like a magic to it it's it was also very sorted um oh yeah and it's still kind of is, it, to say it's still it's still very much obviously is. but um yeah. but there's 
there's a level of like when when that sort of thing happens and it becomes a question of did he or didn't he it's reduced to just like conversations on set and it's not yeah hearsay he said she said yeah it's not substantive um yeah and it made me think a lot of it actually i just immediately like while i was watching it made me think of the whole um the the case of natalie wood who well, oh, it's funny right, you say right. that because I believe in the credits the wife is na- somewhere I saw that the wife's name was credited as Natalie. So, oh, well, that so, would be which wouldn't surprise me if Tarantino did that. Well, because I mean, sure Natalie Wood, Natalie Wood died on a boat. And... Oh, oh, yeah, that's man, that's yeah, a good insight that felt, there. yeah, that felt that felt very intentional to me. So, I mean, yeah, I could see that, you know, definitely, but like, uh. A few other scenes. Um, I really love the whole sequence at Spawn. You know, like uh, there. Mm, just I love that when he picks up Margaret Qualley, which, by the way, oof, like uh, man, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get the point, everybody. Yeah. But like, like super. When when they go to Sp- to Spawn and everything else, the whole setup there, and when he when the tire is slashed and everything else, that whole thing where Brad Pitt comes in. You know, as Cliff Booth, it's just. I think that's some of Brad Brad Pitt's best work, honestly, just mm-hmm. throughout this movie. But that scene in particular, I just thought, wow, this guy got it. Mm-hmm. You know, any scenes um, of yours that you wanted to bring up, real quick? Um, well, we already talked about the scene where she goes to watch the Wrecking Crew, but I think that's just such a. I think that's one of the most uh, just tender and humane things that Tarantino has done. In his career, yeah. uh, I think, like, I think, I again, I when people say that she has, she wasn't used well, that she was wasted, I think they fundamentally misread the movie and they fundamentally missed that scene. I mean, it's just that scene does all the character development that yeah. is necessary. I mean, it paints her, it she's it, it paints her as such a humble and kind and warm person and it's more than just and relatable because it plays to the whole idea how actors like a let's be real and you're you're not you have acting experience yourself mm-hmm. so it's like people have a desire to have themselves be seen and they want to have like the audience like be respe- be receptive to their work right you know? it's and such seeing a seeing her yeah, yeah delight it's delightful. such a and it's such a human moment too it's not just like mm-hmm. oh it's not yes she there she does have this very ethereal kind of spiritual presence she she haunts the movie but also that moment is such a human moment of just like seeing her be delighted by the fact that she's bringing people delight yeah that's that's what any actor or actress always wants to do or anybody in show business they really just want to make people feel good alan do you have any scenes you want to bring up before we uh, wrap up um, I mean, there's so many scenes I like. Well, it's funny you mentioned the Spawn movie ranch scene because it, it's my again. No matter what, I was Tarantino is one of those directors, especially since he's writing. Who I feel like even you could he could set a movie in like an office and he'll still be making a western. Like just in terms <laughs> of like the tropes and the character tropes and kind of the imagery he uses. The but Spawn the actually, movie ranch sequence yeah. feels the most like him doing a western just that just happens I'd to be argue, set in Hollywood. I'd argue he made Hollywood the setting itself feel very wild westy mm-hmm. beyond and, the uh, fact that they're filming yeah. westerns and there's western yeah. sets. Like he makes the whole think, city yeah. of Hollywood feel like a like a wild west kind of environment. Yeah. Absolutely. With all the characters and everything and, uh, else. And I really like that scene. It's probably aside from 
the big scene at the end, probably like the most tense scene, of which there aren't too many. Uh, and I think Bruce Dern is very effective in that role because he, he plays George Spawn. Yeah. I will admit, even though I really like Bruce Dern in there, I just couldn't help but thinking how Burt Reynolds would have done that because uh. Burt Reynolds was cast. And I think, which is very intentional because I know Tarantino modeled the relationship between uh, Rick Dalton and Cliff Booth yeah, with off Reynolds of the real-life his... relationship between Burt Reynolds and his stuntman. Yeah. Uh, I'm blanking on the name. I can't believe it. Um, and I think especially Burt Reynolds having kind of the, uh, in that Kurt Russell sense, kind of the yeah. broad. I mean, you, when you see Burt Reynolds, there's already an image of him you have bring into it. I think it would have been very interesting to see what he would have brought to that. Unfortunately, we did lose him. And I think Bruce Dern is very nice. He does a very good job in that scene. I think he's got uh, one of the most touching. So I like that scene a lot. He's got one yeah. of the most touching lines in the movie. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, and also, um, stunt, man. in 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 uh, speaking of um, people who are no longer with us, a uh, shout out to um, Luke Perry, who has a role in the movie, uh, passed away yes. a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he when he popped up on screen, on I kind of got a little sad because I just yeah. got reminded. Speaking of, you know. speaking of that show, speaking of Lance, well, first of all, I also love that again. Like I mentioned, there's an entire section of the movie where they just let the episode of Lancer play. I love that. Yeah. I just I can't believe he got away with it, but I love that. Um, we got to talk about Julia Butters, that little girl who plays... Oh, yeah. You never find out the actress's name. You just... She's just Maribel. Um, she... That might be my favorite bit in the whole movie. Aside from either... Aside from Brad Pitt on acid and <laughs> the Leo bit in Great Escape. That, I think, just as a scene, that might be my favorite bit in the movie. I think... I Have you guys ever seen her in anything, that actress? I have you know? not. I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall. She's... It's a wonderful scene, and I think it's one of those bits because we definitely see Leo at his most vulnerable because Leo, God, he is like three sheets through the wind in this movie. Like every scene, he is falling apart. And I think you see Leo at his most just vulnerable and broken down and just falling apart. And I think just the what that girl brings out in him I think is so fascinating to watch. And I think she's just – she's wonderful. And I think the two of them together, I think, again, not just – it's funny. I would recommend. I, I'd be interested to see this paired up with another movie I love, set in L.A. in a period, uh, The Nice Guys, where I think <laughs> both movies kind of ex- you know centered in L.A. in a period where there's a lot of transition and very much about manly men kind of being cast to the side. Yeah. And both movies kind of have a little girl, of course, in The Nice Guys, it being Gory Rice's daughter, and here being her. I think. It's it's interesting to see both kind of use these two characters as kind of kind of representing. It's hard to again. It's hard to say representing the future, what can be, or the promise of what can be, and of course how very difficult that can be, and the compromises that come with youth losing their yeah. innocence. Um, but no, I think she's wonderful, and I think that whole section is one of the strongest, most effective parts for she me. She really holds her own along Leo on screen. Yeah, she does. Yeah, absolutely. She's, she, they are absolutely seen partners in it. They are going toe-to-toe. All right, one quick uh, BTS tidbit on uh, Once Upon a Time before we close, actually, I wanted to bring up real quick. Because um, recently, uh, and we, we've known this when they were still casting the movie, but um, if it wasn't Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio, it could have been um, Tom Cruise in either one of those roles, perhaps. And um, I just wanted to ask, what would you guys have thought if you know someone like Tom Cruise would have been in either of those roles? You know, 
like Ted, like what would you think if he was either in Rick, Dalton, or uh, Cliff Booth? And who would you think would be a better fit for him? I, th- um, I think, well, he was considered to be. A, he was considered. Tarantino was cons- had a meeting with him. He was considered yeah. to be Booth, right? Yeah, I think so, because Leo got the role first, and then they were still negotiating with Brad and Tom Cruise, apparently. Because I think Brad Pitt brought this really great kind of, like, laconic quality to Booth. That, I agree. That I don't mm-hmm. think Tom Cruise would have... I don't think Tom Cruise would have done the same thing, but I also think mm-hmm. Tom Cruise's, like, manic energy would specifically be amazing mm-hmm. towards the end. However... Absolutely. I've never seen... At least not recently, I haven't seen Brad Pitt do that. So it was a lot of fun mm-hmm, yeah. to see him go there. Um, yeah. And Definitely. Alan? Yeah. Oh, go mm-hmm. ahead. Uh, well, first of all, I am a big fan of the Cruise. And, and I think that would have been very intentional casting just because the idea of Tom Cruise, you know, often regarded as America's greatest stuntman being cast in either like one of those roles. It would have been like a kind of send-up of himself a little bit, you know, like... Yeah, and maybe that would have been a bit too on the nose, but I think just that in itself would have been fun. Although, if it was Tom Cruise, uh, those actors would have been dead because Tom Cruise would have done it for real. <laughs> He's like, no, I gotta do, I gotta kill these guys for real. I gotta like throw a can on their head for real, man. I gotta do it. Yeah, <laughs> like he'd like do everything. Um, well, first of all, I think I think would have been interesting. Either one, I think would have been interesting, but I think, well, I think what Leo brings to Rick just this. I mentioned Three Sheets of the Wind just so he managed to be so vulnerable in a way that I haven't seen him be in a while. And then yeah. Brad Pitt, like Teddy mentioned, like Ted mentioned, there's just something so inc- instantly like he feels like a cowboy. And not just because of that scene where he takes his shirt off and you're like, oh, my God, this dude in his 50s and he's looks incredible. Um, there's this there's a swagger that Brad Pitt has that feels like he just came out of Bonanza or something like that, that yeah, I don't. No, again, I don't know if Tom Cruise would have had that same quality. I think it would have, definitely would have been interesting, but you know, I think Just as to see is that Leo and combination Brad did in general. Job. Like, I'm not complaining at all. I'm really happy with the mm-hmm. dynamic we got. I mean, you can't help but sometimes imagine what if sometimes. And if anything, I just hope that with Tarantino, what likely is his last movie, I would love to see Tom Cruise in there in any role because I've always I, Tom Cruise is probably the number one actor for me that I'd love to see work with Tarantino the most because as much as I love his action roles, I miss I, I really wanted to explore like his actual like craft mm-hmm. as like acting. You know what I mean? Not to say that Mission Impossible isn't great. I mean it is, but yeah, like, I, I miss the I very, Tom Cruise. I very you know? much I very much would like to see. Tom Cruise spouting out Tarantino dialogue. It would be funny if of all the movies, it's a Tarantino movie that winds up till, killing Tom Cruise. Like he's got some like crazy shootout stunt, and that's what does him in finally. But you know, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I think back to like Magnolia and a few other movies that Tom Cruise has done, where it shows like, I mean, he's he's an incredible actor, you know. And I would have loved to have seen that, but I'm not complaining with Brad and Leo. I think Brad should mm-hmm. definitely be considered for like best. Would you say that he support they'd campaign him for supporting or I because I always see the movie as a co-lead movie really you know so I get that it's that people think it's co-lead but I think it's Leo's movie I think it's I think it's yeah. Rick's I think it's Rick's story I mean the narrative especially how it ends especially it's like yeah I could see that mm-hmm. I also think the the I mean the narrator is narrating from Rick's perspective Oh mm-hmm. sure yeah my boy Who Kurt. The um, again? It was Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell, oh, yeah, Kurt Russell yeah. son 
my man, who shows up for a nice bit. And I had no idea that Zoe Bell was playing his wife. Like, she popped up, <laughs> and I was like, oh, hell, Zoe Bell, that's yeah. awesome. Who, of course, yeah. wasn't Death Proof. Um, I will say yeah. you guys have yet to mention the best performance in the whole movie. I'm a little Brandy. offended. Brandy, the dog. <laughs> oh, yeah. What a legend. What a legend. I was so scared for a moment for Brandy. Oh, so terrified. Like, the, sec- the second that dog came out, I was like, we're going to have to watch this dog die, aren't we? But Thank God. Made I, like, okay. I like how, like, when it when the dog started attacking, like, the movie randomly became a Dario Argento movie. Like, it just <laughs> became Suspiria. Um, because it suddenly just got so chaotic. And it really felt like, like a giallo. Like, it felt so mm-hmm. chaotic. and It really did. Like, it's, it's, it's a salt of a scene. It's just, like, the camera's just shaking. and When that whole thing happened, my into the eyes camera. widened. Like, I couldn't... I, oh I, I actually... I didn't... As I was watching it, my audience was losing their shit. But I, I couldn't, because I was just like... I was like, what... Oh, I was laughing my ass off. I don't care. I was for me, it was like when an awestruck reaction where I was like, whoa. I, that's the thing. No. I was like, I couldn't. It wasn't that I wasn't like, this is amazing. But I was just like, this is, this is so much. It's a lot. And wild. Again, it's wild. And I think it's also Very because wild. the movie, it, 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 it is so laid back until yeah. it's not. And like again, like until the third act not. is building and it becomes more and more kind of delirious and almost slapsticky. Um mm-hmm. and then suddenly it just explodes in this crazy scene that is just totally mm-hmm. one of the most chaotic things Tarantino has mm-hmm. filmed. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I well, okay, you can finish up dead. And then it just settles down. Right. It settles back yeah. down. So Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's only like this quick little burst. It's like what, like a three minute burst of crazy ass violence, which by Tarantino standards is you know pretty it's tame. Nothing, yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, especially with a movie that's relatively like bloodless throughout. If it's yeah. not like a scene that they're shooting for the TV show. You well, know, but anyways, funny. yeah. I think there's ahead. misdirection going on there because like, again, you you go into it knowing it's about the Mansons, and there's the narrator who's pretty much like the ticking clock, and they're giving you the dates, and you just go into it knowing like. Oh man, like even when it's very chill, you're like, okay, it's about to go down. Right. And it it does, just not in the way a lot of people I think are expecting. Will expect, yeah. So anyways, um we went on for about a little over an hour, which was great. It was great talking with you all about this movie. Overall, we really all really dug the film. I, I loved it. Ted loved it. Alan really dug it too. And anyways, I just wanted to say thank you both for coming on. Thank you, Alan, for coming again. But thank you, Ted, for um, joining on with this one. Thank really you for having me. It was, it was really it was fun being a part of it. Absolutely. So anything, Ted, is there anything you wanted to plug for the listeners? Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, let's actually, I wrote something on Letterboxd that I was actually kind of proud of. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, we can put that letterbox link on the info. Yeah, but that that uh that I was yeah, it's um you can follow me at Ted Silva on Letterboxd or Teddy underscore Silva one two three, um and if you're I uh, I wrote something just about how the movie uses Sharon Tate, but I'm actually mm-hmm. like I'm I it was one of those things where I was like oh I I I feel like I did a good job so um, nice it's always good to feel good yeah. All right, and Alan? Oh, uh, if you've listened, you know my usual spiel. Uh, 
you can find me because I'm on Instagram. I'm on all the. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but. Instagram's my main thing, mainly because Facebook and Twitter are hellscapes. Uh, but at all of them, I am at Alan Gun Art. Uh, I try to post artworks. Just trying to get back into it. I've been a little behind, but I'm trying to get Two back ends. into the groove. Do you think you're so, gonna uh, do something special for us for this one? I'll, I'll see what I can do. I love to um, see te- how you draw Ted. <laughs> to see how you make him uh, look. I feel like a member um, but, of the Manson family with my beard right now. <laughs> it's so long. I, I wasn't gonna. I wasn't gonna say it, but you do look a little Mansony. <laughs> Oh. You look a, a touch mancini. If my hair were um, but if yeah. my hair were longer, then just get that maybe. long hair. Yeah. Um but yeah, you could just find me on at Ellen Gun Art on mail on Instagram, but also Facebook, Twitter, if you fancy. Alright, so that's what you guys plug. Obviously you could follow me at, at Noah underscore Villaverde uh on Instagram or Twitter. You could follow Blank Green Canvas on Facebook as well. It's Facebook.com uh slash blank green canvas. And anyways guys, thank you for joining me. And for those listening, thank you for listening to this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood podcast, also discussing the films of Tarantino. And join me again next week where it looks like Alan and a friend of ours, Shaquille, will be joining us to discuss what's probably gonna be the best movie of all time. Hobbs Hell yeah. Tarantino wishes, son. He wishes. I can't wait to talk about that one. But anyways, guys, this is Noah Villaverde. Noah Villaverde, host of the Blank Green Canvas podcast, and I will see you again next week. See you. Bye.